Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins, and today I'm here with Chandler Benoy. Hey, hey. Uh, and a special guest, uh, Lena. Lena. I already messed up your first name. There's no way I'm going to do that. It's not even the hard part. I know. Really? It's Lena. And she told me to say, I'll be jamming, basically. <laughs> Abu, Abu Jamra? That's really good. Good job. Okay. Excellent. So uh, you may or may not know uh, her name because uh, she is a, a speaker. Um, uh, she's a founder of Living with Power Ministries, a Bible teacher. She's got books galore, Thrive, Strip, Resolved. Um, she does a podcast uh, as part of that ministry, but then also um, on Moody Radio with today's Single Christian and Morning Minutes. But one of the most fascinating pieces is that you are a pediatric ER doctor and you're currently doing telehealth during uh, this time that we find ourselves in um, with with COVID-19. And so uh, we want to talk to you about uh, a little bit about leadership and a little bit about COVID today, if that's if that's okay. Uh, that's great. I can't wait. Is there anything else you want us to know about yourself? Before <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I've got some pretty pressing questions. Okay, come on. Because okay. I, uh, I know you're Lebanese. And I know I have friends uh, who are Lebanese and Iraqi and Palestinian and Israeli and the list the list goes on because uh, um, I lived in D.C. for a while and I've always been attracted to that uh, area of the world. But here's my question. Where does hummus come from? Well, I had a feeling you were asking who has the best food and hands down. Lebanese do. No, you know, it's a big debate. It's ongoing. It's why, the, it's why we have war in the Middle East. It's, they're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> My mom thinks it's from her side of the family, so I don't know. Well, we make a pretty good hummus in Lebanon, no question about it. <laughs> oh, I, it's, a, it's a controversy for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, so, so we do want to ask you some questions. You're currently uh, in, in Chicago, and, you know, in light of the fact that you are uh, an ER doctor and the fact that you're obviously a, a, a Christian leader, I just want to pick your brain a little bit. Like, what does it look like on the, the front lines right now? Right. You know, um, coronavirus, is, as much as people are talking about it being around for a while, really came to our attention in the last month. And, uh, uh, I uh, found myself sort of on the front lines. I would have been either way, but I left the ER two years ago because of the ministry that was growing and felt compelled by the Lord. Uh, I've had phases of, of life in medicine. I was in academia at Children's Downtown and then moved to community medicine. And at every stage, I got more involved in ministry and sort of got, you know, grew some areas of writing and speaking and radio and those things. And about three or four years ago, I felt compelled to start doing telemedicine. And, and over the course of some time, I phased into telehealth. And, and I never thought that that would be sort of a focus of attention in a national disaster, such as the one we're going through, a global disaster, really. And so when it sort of started breaking out, what happened was, I mean, the biggest issue of infectivity was sort of the forefront of everybody's mind and people were getting really sick and, and dying. And so 
the patients no longer wanted to go into doctor's offices and to the hospital. And so what normally my practice in the emergency medicine would have put me on the front, front lines. But in fact, the very thing that God had you know, directed me to became the hub of, of ministry and medicine combining like no other time before. And so I really was early stages, like three or four weeks ago, our telehealth practice, I'm in the big comp- one of the biggest companies in telehealth. I've been with them for a while and very set up, you know, licensed in a ton of states and, and have enjoyed the work to date. But all of a sudden we became, instead of like a hundred people in our waiting room or less, we went from that to like 1500 to up to almost 2000 people waiting at one time. People who were freaking out about COVID, but also didn't want to go in anywhere because they were scared. And so I was basically that first respondent trying to help people, A, figure out what COVID is when we were just learning, and B, sort of instilling some sense of peace and hope in in this disaster. And now uh, things have unfolded and we can sort of come to that stage here in our conversation. But but it's it's been just an incredible journey of, of watching sort of a process that went from like nobody knowing anything about something. And all of a sudden now people are sort of familiar with what to look for. There's still a lot of theories and a lot of, you know, sort of, is this really true about it or not? But, um, but I've seen and even in three weeks, sort of this crazy, you know, expanse of knowledge and still this continuous presence of fear. And so as New York has grown in its crisis and, and we've all watched sort of this disaster happen in New York. One of the things that has happened in the rest of the United States, including cities like myself, Chicago, is that there's been time to prep. So there's been a lot of emergency preparedness, which is this focus of emergency room uh, personnel, doctors, nurses, paramedics. And so um, I feel like right now at this stage of the game, we're a week into April. So we've got still three and a half, you know, three weeks of isolation in the house and whatnot. Um, but I think that I think that that s- certain cities like our city is more prepared than I would have expected or, you know, or what we thought three weeks ago. So I think we still got a ways to go, but I, I'm feeling optimistic for the first time in, in a while. So that's good. That is good. For for those listening, as you said, it, it was something that ramped up so quick. And, and there's a lot of, you know, you can Google COVID-19 and they're doing their best to monitor, you know, what information you find. But there's a lot of information out there. So from from someone who is who has kind of been on the front lines, who has knowledge more than the, the common person of this, what would you say that we need to know about this? I'm not not saying like, here's everything you need to know, but just a few high points that maybe we don't know about right now. Well, I don't know that there's a lot of secrets out there. I think there's a lot of misinformation. And uh, and and I, I remember early on, just sort of starting this Facebook Lives. It was like three days into the whole thing. And my 15, 16-year-old nephew said, you know, you need to be talking about this. And I always talked about different things online and sort of started the, this Facebook Live that ended up being watched by many thousands, which for, you know, somebody who's unknown in the middle of Chicago, you know, like the fact that it picked up so much, you could see that people had an interest in it. And that early on, the information there was very basic. Here's here's what COVID looks like. Uh, And we didn't know at the time. Remember, the CDC itself changed their opinions on so many things so many times early on. It was kind of crazy. Even in telehealth, we would have these webinars. We had like two or three of them. And it was like one day they tell you, okay, here's here's what we're looking at. You'd read about it. And and like the next week, you everything would be different in terms of how long to be home quarantined. If you, you didn't know if you had the disease or didn't. And, and when push comes to shove, taking all the noise aside, I think the easiest way for me to kind of talk about plain old COVID would be the, the 
the trifecta, fever, shortness of breath, and cough, and sort of a flu-like look. So there's going to be these people who are like calling, because you hear on the news, like, so there's people with COVID who have diarrhea. So some guy will have like an episode of diarrhea. They're waiting in line for 10 hours to talk to somebody on the phone to see if they've got COVID, right? That is not coronavirus. I mean, that, that, that might, could it be asymptomatic? Maybe. But that's not the person that you're really worried about. When you think about those people who are in hospitals and dying, I mean, the, the triad is still fever, cough, shortness of breath. Now, there are other sundry items, but that's sort of the big three. And people who get coronavirus, like, you know you have it. Like, you can tell at this point. I think early on in March, we had a lot of flu. So it was very confusing as to whether it was flu or coronavirus. And as the, by God's grace, with the timing of it all, as the flu has sort of ramped down, I think it's becoming easier to sort of tell in my mind. I, I feel like I'm much more able to sort of tease out who has it and who doesn't. But that the, the biggest sort of, you know, the social media, you know, epidemic, you know, pandemic, whatever, like the difference between what would happen now versus like a decade or 20 years ago is like this massive misinformation of anyone having an opinion on medical, I mean, people are like, you know, you know, working in their yard and then coming on and questioning Dr. Fauci, who spent like his entire life taking care of infectious diseases. It just boggles your mind. And th that information gets spread so quickly. And so these people are now on the phone asking, wasting time and money and energy and fear, trying to figure out, hey, do I have it? Pink eye is the big new thing. Everybody heard that some people with COVID have pink eye. And so, man, they're like, Waiting in line, you know, sense of smell at one point, people were saying, do people with COVID have those symptoms? Maybe. But if you just have, like, you woke up with a sinus infection, you can't smell very much, or, you know, maybe you ate something really spicy. <laughs> you know, all these reasons, all of a sudden you're like in line, in the queue, waiting to see if, if you have it. And so this fear factor is like exponentially increased because of so much misinformation out there. And I think that's dangerous. Everybody thinks they know, and not everybody does. One of, and one, to that effect, I mean, one of the things that I tell patients, I mean, I mean, think about it. It's unfolding in real time. I mean, that's been sort of the interesting thing. And so now, you know, the biggest time I mean, where we're at now thinking about it, there's now this big, you know, kind of gray area concern, you know, this, this push to wear masks. Because though we think of this class of COVID as the big three, like I mentioned, fever, cough, shortness of breath, you've got this huge patient population that potentially have it that might never get tested because there's just not that many tests in the world, basically. Basically, no matter how many private sectors give tests, I mean, you're never going to know. And yet you might be sort of an asymptomatic or a low symptomatic carrier. So that's sort of now this like big thing in the news is, do you, could you have it? Which is why we're sitting home in social isolation to try to flatten the curve, which I actually think we're doing better than we're getting credit for. I really do. And I think that, you know, the fact that we're not seeing cities follow in the New York pattern yet, I think is a good sign. Not that the disease is not there, but that we really are doing the part that we're supposed to be doing, which I think is really something that people should hear more of. Uh, does it mean you get out of your house tomorrow because everything's okay? No, it just means you wait and listen to wisdom and guidance and and, and patiently give people time to figure more out about this because they're learning. I mean, think about it. The researchers haven't had years to study this. They're studying it in real life time. And so, you know, when you hear these case reports from China or from Sweden, like, you know, ibuprofen case report once, I mean, you can have like 10 cases and people are making conclusions on 10 humans or six humans or it just makes me laugh. And everybody basically now is on this bandwagon of going, I'm never going to take an Advil again in my life. I actually did a video up and I actually took two Advils on it. I was like, watch, 
I'm taking him. And, and like, <laughs> we had a, had a paper out that said, it's okay to take ibuprofen. I felt immense relief, but it just makes me laugh because a lot of what I'm doing right now is just trying to practice wisdom with people and abate their fears. And I can't tell you how often I just hear from patients now. Uh, and, and I mean, ones who, you know, the ones who, who are clearly done, I mean, there's calls that come in where you need to be in the hospital now. There's a few, but th- that's not the majority. But by and large, the amount of relief that patients express just to hear me say, you know what, I don't think it's COVID. I can't tell you 100%, but I don't think this is it. And they feel like I just told them like, you know, here's the man of your dreams, you're getting married to him. Like, it's like the best gift you've ever heard in your life. It just makes me laugh. And, but I'm so happy to be in a place where I can, change their whole day. It's awesome. It's really the best time for me in the practice of medicine. I've never seen so many thankful, kind people as I have in the last three weeks. Never. That's so good to hear. Yeah. People are so grateful. I mean, really, I think the profession of medicine, I think there was a bit of in the United States, I think this relationship between patient and doctors was suffering in the last few years. And I I really do see that has changed. The amount of trust people have and I felt like overall I've had great relationships with my patients. Like it's not been an issue, you know, it's not like, but, but there's a spirit of it. You can see a change in the spirit of humans in the United States that at least I've come across. And I have never had as many people wish me well, specifically thank me for working, for being there for them. And it's so rewarding. And, um, I'm really deeply grateful for that. Well, that's, that's all very helpful. And thank you for, for breaking that down a little bit for us. So one thing that you mentioned there, I think it's good to, to say again is, hey, hopefully we, it seems that we are doing a good job. This quarantine, the social isolation seems to be at least flattening the curve from what we can tell. And especially as Christians, that is the best way we can love our neighbor right now is to distance ourselves from them. And one issue that that is raising for churches and church leaders is what do I do about church? How do we still minister in this new season? And I think you have such a unique perspective of seeing the medical side and even talking to with patients who some might be wrestling with kind of going through the COVID symptoms and others that you're able to share the good news that they, they they don't have it. What advice would you share to a pastor or church leader listening to this about how do how do they minister during this time that they can't yeah. see they can't gather their church but they can still minister in different ways I have never felt such an ease. And I mean, I've, I've felt called to ministry 20 years ago, almost when I was in my fellowship, I was doing pediatric ER training and God in a very specific way um, called me to be, uh, to, 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 to serve women in the role of to teaching the Bible. And he's kind of grown that ministry. And, and it's sort of been interesting to watch that, you know, the, 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 two lines of growing in medicine and then in ministry and sort of, they sort of intersected, but not really. It was like, oh, she's a Christian doctor, but there was no really good intersection. And, and ministry's always been in my, the love of my life, the calling of my life. And I, I've always thought creatively of how I could reach people, but, but something happens in crisis that makes ministering to people so much easier. And I saw it five years ago when I was in um, starting work with the, with the Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And I've seen it in prior when I went to Haiti two weeks after the big earthquake years ago and, and on and on, you can look through crises in life. I grew up in a place of crises in Lebanon in the middle of the civil war in the seventies and eighties, we moved to 87. There is something that happens in the heart of man when you are going through immense 
pressure and pain and crisis that makes you very malleable to God and very open to the gospel. And I think anyone who is at the forefront of ministry, pastors and leaders, has a gift given to them. You have a gift of speaking into people's life. And I, I, my advice to, to that pastor, I mean, there's there's certain logistics that have to happen and, and the church has risen to it. And it's just jump on. I mean, on Sunday, my Facebook is like, I've got like, I mean, if, I, if it all plays at once, it's like a charismatic, like literally like every voice of every pastor is like, it's just literally praising God. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I don't follow that many pastors, but it's people who are hosting watch parties and the transition to online church has been immense. And that's great. But really, the need of people is so individual. People, I found that the most deep, interactive, you know, relational things that I've done has been literally like little messages that are very personal. So I do the big stuff. You know, we have now, we've created a Facebook community. We do the things that other people are doing, do tons of lives. And I've created these COVID updates that are really meant to encourage people while giving medical data. But it's really the one-on-one. I've opened myself up to allowing people, not that I didn't before, but I've been very intentional saying, Hey, you can email me. If you have a question about medicine, you can email me. And I get these emails. It's not as overwhelming as you might think, but a steady stream of email of people who simply want to be loved. They simply want to be seen and heard and ministered to. And so I think for leaders in the church, the big stuff is amazing. I mean, you need a message on Sunday, but the opportunities to minister one-on-one to people in your little circle of influence, and that circle is small or big, depending on where you are. But when you create those venues to to meet and hear and speak without going to their homes. This is so easy. If you're like me, like I'm not a person who wants to go to a home and sit for an hour. Like I freak out about that. I'm an introvert. <laughs> I, I don't want, don't offer me the coffee. Cause now I know it's going to be like a three hour thing and I can't handle that. But now all of a sudden we have an excuse not to go in and yet to be able to deeply engage at heart levels with people who are hungry to be touched just to be, to be guided, to be moved in their perspective to God. And so look, for them. you don't have to look hard for those people. They're all over the place, but start, you know, inviting those, not just the big stuff where you're still a person behind a screen, but where you become now a human. And you get a little email. Someone's like, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling with that. We've created a COVID fund. We want to meet little, you know, we're not, we're not a big organization. I've got like my assistant and now my sister runs our operations and we've gotten over $10,000 in donations. We've given many gifts out. We've gotten missionaries who've given me no one. I'm I'm working a full-time job, right? I don't take a salary. And so anyone can do this. This doesn't take a lot of, um, it's, it's so easy for us. The fruit is so low. But just look at people as individuals who need you desperately now and be a pastor. And so do the big stuff, but then don't ignore those one-on-one emails, recognize little likes on there. I, I try to comment on every single person that puts a comment on our Facebook. And they are, I see that they notice. And, and it's, it's those things, I think, that will make a difference ultimately. Now, one of the things that I think is, is it, it really is, it, it, one of the things I think is, uh, is interesting right now is what pastoral care looks like, you know, during this time. And so, you know, when it comes to following up with people, like how important is it to be on a, a, a video? Is it, is it better to be on a video call than just a phone call 
Uh, what's uh, the difference? I don't even think, I, I, I think the point, so, so, okay, that's a, that's a good point. This, I, I follow this guy on Instagram, guy with a sign, I can't remember his handle, but it's hilarious because yesterday he's like, stop showing us those Zoom videos, right? It's so true. Like, I don't frankly give a rip if I see, like, I'm so sick of those videos. I can't tell who's who. There's like, what, you had a staff meeting at your church? Woohoo, like, good job. All right, you're still, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm not saying it's correctly. I'm just being like completely honest. And I, I, I don't, I'm not a person who can waste a lot of time with you know just being polite about it but like who cares really like we trust you having your staff meetings i think what happens behind the scenes is the rich stuff of, of ministry like we're trusting that the church is continuing to meet and pray and do those things like you know i know you there's an accountability sense in that but i think it's the behind the scenes stuff you don't have it's a little stuff it's so so to break it down let's not talk in, in generalities from my experience, even with the Syrian refugees, people at the end of the day, you're a pastor, you're serving people. It's simple. And people have two needs, physical and spiritual. And right now, one of the things that blinds people is the physical need, specifically the loss of jobs and the immense weight of how am I going to pay my bills? And people don't like to talk about that. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. And, and you know, so they're still doing the things that they need to be doing. But many are worried that they're going to lose their jobs or have lost them. Those are real people in your in your church. And so how do you reach people spiritually? Well, I've learned over the years of doing ministry is you really have to help meet urgent needs physically. That's not the end all, but it's the beginning place. And so start creatively asking people, looking for those things. I'll tell you, people are not as open about those needs as you might think they are. Like we launched this fund, we're begging people to ask for money basically. And we get like a small amount of requests considering I thought we'd be like overwhelmed with physical needs, but they're not. But it's it allows people to see that you care about their physical needs. And now this is how it happened with the Syrian refugees. The Syrians would come in from a Muslim background. They'd never heard of Jesus. And they'd come to the church to get a bag of food that would barely last them a week. And in that interaction, they would hear about Jesus, the King of Kings. And a revival has broken out in the Syrians in that fashion. And so I think if we could start now moving past the, here's what we're doing at church to, uh, you know, make sure that everybody knows we're doing something, move into the pastoring role of finding those people, setting up systems where you really, um, not systems for the sake of systems, but systems so that you're not overwhelmed if you're in a church of 2000. You can't meet everybody's needs yourself. So you need a system of dividing up people so that now that person reaches out to that person and one-on-one lovingly says, I see you. You know, we don't, I, I, I'm going to tell you the one thing I have, I am not, um, I'm a single, I go to a big church. Um, I used to go to a big church. Now I go to a church launch. So 150 people now, a year, a couple years into it. But I'm one of those people that shows up, sits in the back and leaves. It's just how I am. And, and, and that might sound sort of non-Southern, you know, sort of who does that? Like you're supposed to be engaged in church. I'm in ministry. Like, come on, if I'm in ministry and I'm showing up and leaving, but almost everybody I know does that right? We're not really engaged in churches. And we show up to a small group and we'll sit in small group and then we'll leave. I don't know how things are where you guys are in Nashville, but in Chicago, that's sort of routine. And so for once now in COVID, we actually have opportunities to get to know people. So I feel like I know people in my church now more than I did before. It blows my mind. I have community now as a single person that I didn't have before. I feel like God has given the church this gift of stripping away those things that were just background noise that we have somehow made important in our culture here in the United States that have distracted us from the main thing, which is first vertical, love of God, dependence of God, and second horizontal, love for one another and trying to connect with one another. And I, I actually, I'm, I'm happy to see that the church is seeing that. I do see that pastors are leaning into that, particularly smaller churches, which sort of were, you know, sort of 
nobody heard about what smaller churches are doing. And all of a sudden, these pastors of 100 people churches to 500 people churches, they're networked with their people. They're not losing people. On the contrary, right. their people are rallying, and it's awesome to watch. It is. I've seen, uh, I've even seen some smaller to mid-sized churches reporting that their giving is equal or better uh, yep. in March than, than before. And, you know, I, I look at some of the churches that I grew up in, my dad's a pastor, and, and I'm not as worried about those people because they all know each other and, right. you know, right. they know um, who's, who's missing or who's not a, a part of the conversation. And you're right. right. The beautiful thing about this is as people are quarantined in their homes, when they're gathering together in their small group via Zoom or whatever, they are in their home and they are having their kids, you know, walking by in the background. And now I know your dog's, now I know Jimmy Fallon's dog's right. name is Gary. I didn't know <laughs> Gary before. <laughs> I didn't know Gary before this. I like Gary. He's a good guy. Good dog. Um, so it's really fascinating even to think about that aspect of everybody quickly followed suit um, of, of Fallon at Home Edition, I think. But there's something special about, you know, being in somebody else's in somebody else's home, even if it is is uh, something in the background. And there's that's probably why I think there is more openness and, and we are learning more about each other than than we did before. Well, don't you think also before, like, like everybody sort of recognizes that there's this loneliness epidemic in the United States. Like we're all aware of it, but nobody sort of wants to admit they're lonely, right? It's almost like there's a shame to that. But somehow being in social isolation has given us the freedom to say, you know what? I'm a little lonely here. And the truth is you might've been lonely before. You just were too busy to notice it. And now it's also, also legit. We're given this opportunity to admit it. And now we're leaning into community because we're blaming it on social isolation, but really it's been a need in our soul. I've observed for years now, I came as a 15 year old to the U.S. And, and the community aspect of life here has hurt in the last decade to 20 years. It is not like it is in other countries. And I, honestly, I think for the church, that's been part of the gift is to give us an opportunity now to care less about programs and more about people. And I, I don't say this judgmentally. I mean, I was in a mega church for 20 years. I like, who doesn't want to show up to church? It's all programmed out, but you lose your soul and you lose what I think the early church was about. And so I, I again, I, 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 this week I felt some deep optimism, both about the disease itself, but also about the future of the church. And I, I, I believe God is going to bring revival out of this season. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it to keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. So I, I do think it's a, it, it is really interesting. And, you know, even, even having this conversation, I, I didn't exactly know where these lines of questioning <laughs> We're going to go, but I do have a question. I do think it's, it's really important to, 
to pastors because people recognize we're, we're doing this now. But the, the two questions I have is how, how long do you think this current COVID season will last? And, you know, we're hearing that, hey, there, there might be a second wave that, that comes around again uh, with this. And I've even had, you know, conversations of, of pastors saying, hey, we're going to miss Easter. Are, are we also going to like come back in the fall and then have to miss Christmas too? Right. So can you, can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, everybody wants to know, you know, when, when, when we're talking about going back to church on Easter, to me, that was a ridiculous conversation, honestly, banning politics. I mean, it just felt too soon. And, um, and, and now, and you know, you wonder, is it 1st of May or 1st of June? That, and I, I honestly think with some of the conversation about masks happening, I see, and, and we'll have to see, the peak they say is April 18th. So whenever, I don't know when you're listening to this, but if that's true, Dr. Fauci's predictions, and we're going to watch through, you know, the third week of April, let's say, and then eventually the numbers start to settle down. I presume that by May, people will be going back to work, not in a normal capacity. I don't think we'll ever go back to normal. I think everybody sort of recognizes that some things are going to change. And I don't know to what extent fully, but this is now fascinating to start reading into that because we're starting to move towards that soon. And so I predicted, I mean, this complete prediction is just my, my gut sense, my intuitive sense of watching sort of even our own volumes with telemedicine drop a little, the steadiness of the numbers. So yeah, we're still not where we need to peak wise. I mean, we're going to get worse. I get it. But I think by May, many people will be back in work. Schools are done for the year. And so summer by June, I think will be sort of, again, more outside. You're going to see a lot more masks, which is sort of a big deal. Like, you know, you'll be like, well, fine, we'll wear a mask. It's weird to be out in public with a mask in the United States. Like, a lot is going to change in our psyche, our, our hugging, our, you know, so, sort of those natural things that we've done in the past. So but now the second wave. So I think summer, I think we'll integrate life again in some form or fashion with some obvious, you know, caution. Um, the second and third wave that Fauci keeps talking about. Fauci is the doctor. You know, if you don't know who Dr. Fauci is at this point, God bless you. That's like not knowing who he is in the evangelical world. Right? I mean, anyway, but, so whatever he says is, is true. You know, there's this fear of what will happen in the fall or even later in the, in the winter. And, and when it comes to coronavirus, so I don't think it's ever going to go away. All right. It just won't be the same. So it will no longer be the novel coronavirus because now two things will have happened. One, a lot of people will have had it. So you have some herd immunity. Two, it's no longer new to human nature. Like if you've never had it before, it will be new to you potentially. Right. So there's still that side of it. The goal, again, is within a year, which is a fast goal, that there would be some kind of immunity or a vaccine or all of the research that's happening right now will yield fruit, I really believe, within a year to 18 months. So it will be different eventually. And I don't think the second wave will be as bad as this wave. A, because we will have known what's coming. And so part of the fear is the lack of knowledge, right? It's always what I don't know is that scares me. And so and so part of it is we'll be educated. I don't know. I, I will go far as far as saying, I don't know that we'll ever have an immense social isolation to this degree. I think we'll be better at, at, at doing things and at um, maintaining it may be a, a milder form of, of, of sort of, sort of, Hey, be careful. There's now a spike like flu season. It comes to you to take some certain precautions. So I don't think we're ever going to go back to normal, but I don't think it'll ever be as bad as this would be my, my final say on it. I'm going to, and once again, this is a prediction and I'm no one's going to hold you right. to this, but the, the question of when can my church gather again? Right. You know, we can go back to normal in June and all that, 
will, will churches be gathering then yeah. or will we be, have to be withholding how large our gatherings are? Well, what would your opinion be on that? I, I, I venture to say, I mean, I don't think, again, we're, we're in the United States of America. Like, if Pastor Trump, <laughs> Pastor Trump, President Trump, if he has kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, um, President Trump has made the point, whether you like him or not, of saying, he keeps reiterating, like, we're going to go back to normal. We want normal life. This is the United States. And again, whether you like him or not, the truth is that, that, that it's true. We are the United States and we're, we're going to, we're going to get through this somehow, uh, but God's grace will learn from it and he'll turn hearts to him in it. And so I think when we go back to semi-normal, whatever you want to call it, sort of like travel now, like, you know, you have a TSA line, you make plans ahead, you show up early, you get global entry because you want to save the time in the TSA pre-check versus the regular line. You've, you've adjusted. It took a few years, but we adjusted. I think church I would imagine we'll have a lot of people with masks on early on. Honestly, I think that sort of thing. I think initially the church will be emptier. People will still choose to watch online. Will they want to continue to do it online? I don't know. I think there's a big group of, I'll pick on singles since I'm single, who were waiting for online church to become legit. So they don't have to face that. You know, that's, that, you know, Ed Sester did a thing that was amazing a few couple of weeks ago where he sort of talked about like being ready for that second phase. I think the amount of PTSD from this and the anxiety and the fear that is going to be showing up in churches is going to mandate a new level of ministry that I agree with them. We are going to have to be ready for. So I don't think the question is as relevant. Are we going to be able to meet in a church anymore? I, I really think we've got to pass that question and now really think think through, no matter where we meet, we know who the church is. We know the church. And those who follow Jesus, and those who are coming to Jesus, you're going to still be connected to them somehow. Now, how do we think through phase two? How do we serve them best in that season? And and they may not show up because they're scared. The asthmatics are petrified. That's who I hear the most from, people with asthma. They will not leave their home. It's just so sad. Like They have become like people, you know, the scarlet letter, they have an A on their forehead and they feel like I have asthma. Like they have been isolated as people that are going to die if they get it, which is not true. All right. But but they're going to have a bigger level of lung disease, but they're not going to die. But that's the fear that they're having. So those people may not show up to church. And so I think I think that the, we need to start asking better questions. I think the end point of, is it May 1 or June 1? Will people come to church or not? People are eventually going to come back to church. Don't worry, pastor. It's going to happen. Now, the, the question is, how do we serve them better? How do we point them to Jesus well? How do we still, after we come back to church, not get bogged down with what Christmas program are we doing this year and really get to the heart of knowing our people? Which, again, as a single Christian in the past decade of living in church as a leader in, of a ministry, feeling like such an outsider. So, so much of that feeling, feeling like I don't belong in the Christian world and, I, and, 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 and being able to rip that down and, and reach into people's hearts and give them the hope of Jesus, which they're hungry for. And the only thing that will get them through another crisis if, and, or when we face it. My first reaction to that is, is when things do get back, there's, there's not going to be a normal, it's not going to be an instant day where we switch back things to where they were. But as you mentioned, this is, this is changing things. The other side of this church is going to look different and you're going to need to find creative ways to still minister to your people. And I think it is a sobering reminder, as you were saying, is that there will be a period where your church is a little bit more empty than usual, even when before, because people are still a little nervous to come back. So 
remember that and say, how are we still going to minister to these people, even when, if they don't show up on a Sunday? So I thank you for that reminder in that. And I think it's a realistic viewpoint to say, Hey, this is, this is the new normal. How do we continue ministering in this way? You know, the other thing, I mean, I, I really, I don't think you can discount this, not that any pastor would, but I have seen a flow of the Holy Spirit. And I look, I grew up independent fundamentalist, you know, that side of the church and now quite reformed in my theology, but I have enough Holy Spirit in me to say this, like, <laughs> there is something happening. Like, I have, I had no idea what I would do. Like a month ago, I was bemoaning the fact that the ministry wasn't bearing as many fruits as I wanted it to bear. And I was trying to think of ways how, like, you know, this usual, like, how do we get more people to come to Jesus, listen to this, come in, you know, all of these questions. And all of a sudden, God throws us this, you know, COVID gift. Basically, I, I say it's a gift and I didn't know what I would be doing. And there is something that happens when you're flowing in the spirit where you're just asking the spirit of God, show us what is it? How do we how do we serve them? This, this, these are the prayers that we need to be praying right now. How do we prepare for the second wave? How do we? So, so, so this COVID update thing that I've done that has given a lot of traction in the ministry that uh, I have has really been something that I never planned, never expected. We never had. It was just a idea that God put on my mind and heart and I started it and all of a sudden it's a thing and so much of what we do in ministry is like that isn't it where you just sort of lean into the Lord and go God I really have no idea what to do next but my heart is yours I want to, to do what you have created me to do I want to tell people about your love and he'll show us such a confidence in the Lord like never before. I, I, honestly, I, I, I went through a struggle the past few years with church, with faith, and sort of wrestled with things. And I, I, it's been amazing to me that it took this crisis to show, for the Lord to show me, Lena, your faith is stable because it's, you're standing on the rock who is Christ. And I think every one of us who is, calls ourselves Christians, I think can attest to that. I have a chance to say it publicly here, but how many of you are hearing this and going, I know, me too. There's a stability that comes in crisis that is God-given, and he will make a way for us to walk behind him to those areas of need that he has clearly put before us and given us this opportunity to, to, to live through and to show his love and his light in this world. And I think that is immensely gratifying for a person who's given their life to Jesus and who wants to serve them fully. Mm, that's so good. Well, thank you so much for, for spending time with us today and uh, just sharing so much and sharing so freely. Uh, listeners, if you want to know more about some of the resources that she talked about, um, you can go to livingwithpower.org. Uh, and there's tons of resources there, whether it's uh, devotionals or links to the Hope podcast or morning minutes or Bible studies or um, all of all of that, all of those resources you can you can find right there. So again, we would like to be um, we would be like like to be some of those people that have come out of the woodwork to thank you as a as a physician for putting yourself um, on the front line there and um, just God bless you, God bless your ministry, um, both that uh, seems to be the sacred and the secular for you uh, are one yeah. and the same. So. Um, thank you so much for what you do and what you lead. Thank you both for having me. It's been fun talking. And uh, did we get through the five questions? No, we 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 skipped the five questions. Oh man! This <laughs> 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 my mom makes the best hummus in the world, so I, I have to go to say that. <laughs> we'll let you go out. Back around. We'll we'll let you go out saying that for sure. 
All right. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for being thanks, on. Guys. And uh, uh, listeners, um, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. See ya.